Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Fitness Candor Podcast. My guest today is Matt Reynolds. Matt is the founder and CEO of Barbell Logic, which is one of the largest online strength coach coaching companies in the world. It's and awful. that is, I know, I practice it so many times. <laughs> I still screwed up that little, that little piece in there. Um, but I wanted Matt on today because, you know, I know I've, I've talked ad nauseum about what strength training is on this podcast who it's for, but I like different perspectives. Um, and I appreciate Barbell Logic and what they've done. So I want to have Matt on to talk a little bit about his experience going into strength training and, uh, and what he's done uh, with Barbell Logic and maybe a little bit about who strength training is for. And in particular, what strength training is and what it is not. Because I think if you've been in the industry for a certain amount of time, people that you come across, clients, friends, they'll say, Oh, I strength train. Also, I take Pilates. I strength right. train. Also, I take bar class. And um, you know, after a while, I've kind of learned just to to be quiet because you can only talk so much. And it's it's you can lead a horse to water. After that, <laughs> you know they they're going to do what they're going to do. So, anyway, Matt, welcome to the show. I appreciate you joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to do it. Good. Sure. So let's. Tell everybody out there, if they're not familiar with you or Barbell Logic, who you are, your story kind of into strength training, and then we can go sure. from there. Uh, I, I was um, a very competitive kid growing up, but not a great athlete at all. Um, I mean, I was okay. I, I usually use the term painfully average <laughs> at athletics. So, um, but I was super competitive. And I, I really sort of discovered, well, like most, most kids, uh, you know, when I was 12, 13, 14 years old, you go to the garage sale and you get the Sears or the Joe Weider, you know, vinyl dipped concrete weights for yep. $6 and you, you screw around with them. And you don't really know what you're doing. And then I, you know, and then you find some old books from like Arnold Schwarzenegger or something. And I, you know, I was just like, oh, this is kind of an interesting, just an interesting thing to see like be more muscular and strong. And, and so I just sort of got into it on a fringe level, uh, mostly in high school and, and played sports, but never really lifted my senior year of high school. I started lifting and really took to it. Just, just enjoyed it. I had a good weights class and just had a, a pretty good atmosphere. Like most high school kids, I probably was doing most of the lifts, not very well. Oh, sure. I was squatting high. I didn't know how deep I was supposed to squat. I don't know that I ever deadlifted, um, you know, and a lot of bench pressing. And so bench pressing and squatting and they're just fooling around and always doing curls and stuff like 18 year old guys do. And so yeah, for the chicks, not that's for right. The sport. <laughs> when I got out of high school, um, I wasn't good enough to, because I was so painfully average at athletics, I wasn't good enough to play college athletics, but I was still so competitive. I needed an out and I got lucky these were in the early days of the internet. So we're talking like 90, 97, somewhere in that ballpark. Um, and I found some articles by, at the time, a, a, a world famous power lifter for however world famous you can be in the powerlifting world, which is not that famous, right? Uh, named Dave Tate. And he had written yeah. uh, some articles. And I remember one article was called How to Bench Press 600 Pounds. And I didn't know, I thought maybe there were like three or four people in the whole world that could bench press 400 pounds. So 600 pounds seemed like that, that that's probably not even real. Right. And so I read it and it was about the sport of powerlifting where really people just try to get as big and strong as you possibly can. And you, you squat, you bench press and you deadlift and they take the total of those three lifts and, and that's who wins the competition. And of course it's, and it's divided up by weight classes and whatnot. So people that weigh 200 pounds aren't competing against people who weigh 300 pounds. You know, it's kind of like boxing or wrestling. Sure. And so I found this sport in high school or really at the, just getting out of high school and into college that I could essentially, you know, I could eat pizza and drink beer and, and drink weight gainer protein shakes and just lift a bunch of weight. I was, so I just tried to put on as much weight as I could and lift as much weight as I could. And it kind of, it kind of scratched that competitive itch for me. And within a year or two, I started competing in powerlifting and, and I did pretty well. I was a decent powerlifter. Um, I ended up totaling elite, which is kind of the top level total that you can have in three different weight classes in the, in the, uh, 242 and the 275 and the 308 weight class. So that tells you that my body, my body weight was going up, by the way, I graduated yeah. high school. I weighed 155 
Oh, wow. Okay. And I'm six one. I got married uh, in, in 2000 and I weighed 175. And I just, I mean, I was, and I, I wasn't doing it in a great way. I mean, again, I didn't know what I was doing. I was a, I was a college kid and I was, you know, I was going to school and trying to get my degree. And I was just, again, just hammering food and drinking a ton of milk and protein shakes and lots of McDonald's and stuff. It oh, yeah. wasn't a great way to do it. Right. And oh, then yeah. just lifting. That was life. The McDouble. Uh, yeah, that's right. And so I, I, I got into powerlifting for a while and really enjoyed it. And, uh, 2005 decided to turn my attention to strongman. I got really interested in, in like world strongest man stuff and started doing that in 2005 and competed as, as an amateur in, in 05, uh, in 2006 ended up actually winning my pro card in strongman. So of course, by that time I had been lifting pretty competitively for, for nearly 10 years. So for certainly eight or nine years, uh, and then I competed on the, on the pro strongman, like the world strongest man circuit from 2006 to 2009, um, in 2008, I opened a, a strength training gym called Strong Gym that was a, at the time, 2008, if you'll remember, this was really as like CrossFit was really kind of coming into their own. They were oh, very yeah. popular. It was starting to become yep, I remember popular. That. Um, nobody really still cared about powerlifting. And here I opened this powerlifting gym. I'm in Springfield, Missouri. So in Southwest Missouri in the Ozarks. And it's not a small little town. It's about 200,000 people and maybe close to 500,000 in the metro um, but we opened this gym and, you know, we didn't have any money. And it was a first, the first location was this, just this, you know, dirty old warehouse, but we really focused on two things, training correctly. So training, like doing, doing the stuff that gave us the biggest bang for our buck, those big lifts, the squats and the deadlifts and the big, you know, bench presses and overhead presses and things like that. And we focused on really good customer service, which really started with, cleaning up the old dirty warehouse. And so we made it super clean and, and then we treated everybody great. So rather than people coming in and having this idea of what sort of, you know, meatheads, the way they acted, we wanted to be really concierge level service in a gym that really trained like a bunch of meatheads. And right. <laughs> it was at the time, it was just something I don't think anybody else had thought about doing. And so uh, the gym just, organically grew. Uh, I, at the time I was actually a teacher. I was a public school teacher. I, I graduated and I was actually in the process of finishing my master's to be a high school principal. And the gym blew up so much that I, I started thinking about, like, I don't know that I want to stay in education the rest of my life that I think I could make something of this, of this fitness career. And, and I, I'd been gaining some chops as a, as a coach and, and was enjoying coaching as well as lifting. And so I was, and I, I even remember going through the transition of, of, uh, you know, by 2000, maybe 10 or 11, somewhere in there, I started to become more well known for my coaching prowess than my lifting ability. Uh, and that was because while I was a, a pro strongman, I wasn't a, a very good pro strongman. You, you, I went from being the best amateur strongman in the country to the worst pro in the country <laughs> overnight as soon as I won my pro card. I mean, it's just, it's like the difference between college football and NFL. It's just That's, different. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden yep. it's like, oh, it's, you know, it's actually, I, I won those, my card at the same show that Brian Shaw did. And, you know, then the, these guys end up, these world strongest men today, they're, they're six, seven, six, eight, and like 430 pounds Crazy. and not really fat. I mean, they're just enormous Jacked, humans, huge, enormous yeah. humans. And I'm not, I'm, you know, again, here at the time I'm, you know, I'm 300 pounds, I'm 285. And I am so big compared to everybody in Springfield, Missouri. And then I, I stand next to Brian Shaw or Thor or somebody like that. And I just, I look like a horse jockey. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. And so, uh, so it was in those years that kind of 2008, 2009, 2010, I really started to turn my attention more towards coaching and business ownership in the gym and a little less on, on my own competition. And the gym took off and did well, um, was able to leave, um, public education at the end of 12, at the end of 2012. Uh, and the gym continued to grow. And then I sold the gym at the end of 2015 okay. and started online coaching. I started, I'd actually been online coaching a little bit on the side for years. Uh, but, but internet speeds had gotten to the point that everybody had broadband by, by 15. And so I could actually coach. It wasn't just programming. I was right. actually 
having my clients film their lifts and send me their lifts from their cell phones. And of course, same thing, cell phone cameras were getting better and better, right? You remember how terrible cell phone cameras were in 2010. Oh yeah. By the time you got to 2015, you're talking about like the iPhone is out now and the cameras are pretty good. And so my clients could actually film themselves squatting and deadlifting and doing these lifts. And then they would email them to me and I would send them programming on, you know, the early versions of Google drive and, you know, Google docs, Google sheets, would use that stuff. And that started the online coaching business. And it really just uh, the same rules that I had applied to own in the gym applied to my online coaching. I wanted to provide excellent coaching service, uh, you know, fantastic programming and, and technique breakdown. I was, I was very focused on form and accountability and consistency with my clients, but I also just tried to be really kind and and treat them well and always respond very quickly, always within 24 hours of, of one of my clients, you know, sending me videos or sending me an email, I would respond quickly. And so that business organically grew and, uh, and then it exploded in 2016. Um, by the end of 2016 and early 2017, it just continued to grow. And so um, that business that started with, that was just a one man show it was just Matt Reynolds. And I ran a the business at the time was called Reynolds strong, which was really just because it was my Instagram handle or, you know, I, was, I wasn't even crazy about it. And I didn't even want it to really be a cult of personality or based on me uh, that has slowly turned into barbell logic. So barbell logic now is a full service concierge online strength coaching and nutrition company. So we have, uh, about 70 strength coaches that work for us that are top level. I'm talking about the best of the best strength coaches, um, registered dietitians, incredible nutrition coaches. And we run the gamut from um, with having high end, high touch strength coaching, programming, technique breakdown, always within 24 hours, an incredible system of customer service, like very client centered service that we do. And the thing has just exploded. So we've, we've got well over a thousand clients. Now we have a staff of, of over 80 people um, and it's just blown up. And so I would love to say that that's all on me. I, I got really lucky. Um, I've, I got in, I got in early and did something different than other people were doing as the online coaching industry was starting to grow. And then I surrounded myself with incredible people. My staff is just outstanding. And so my staff has made this work. And, um, I just have at every level, I, I, I constantly pinch myself to say, like, I look at my staff and I go, I can't believe these people work for us. Like they are the <laughs> highest awesome. performing best coaches in the, on the planet. So, um, yeah, it's been great. It's been absolutely great. And I, I get to, you know, I went from being a public school teacher where, which is a, you know, that's sort of a high respect job where people, th- people are like, you know, teachers don't make much money and they change a lot of lives. And, and right. I, you know, both those things are true. And I have an opportunity now where I really think I, I change more lives and have the opportunity to change more lives running Barbell Logic now as the CEO of Barbell Logic and, and a coach and not just the lives of our clients, but the lives of our staff as well. And so along the way, um, not only do we provide coaching, we provide, we put out a ton of, of very high end content. So we put out, um, we, we have a podcast, Barbell Logic podcast that does very well in the fitness industry. We've got a, we've got a YouTube channel that's highly produced YouTube videos, yeah. um, you know, high-end articles and uh, eBooks. And we put out all that content for free because we're not a content company. And we know that for us, the content we put out is really the best form of marketing that we, we have outside of word of mouth. And so number one, we treat everybody great. And so word of mouth is excellent for us. And we, we have lots of referrals of new clients coming in from current clients or other coaches or whatever. And then uh, we do the best we can to put out just fantastic content and people read our content and consume our content for free. Some of those people end up deciding to hire us as coaches. And so that is, that's what we do. And it's been a blast so far. There's a, there's a bunch that you touched on. And a couple of things that stood out to me, one of them was when you talked about, um, you know, you talked about the gym that you first owned. Yeah. And one of the very first things you said was, you know, it, it was going to be one of the cleanest X, Y, Z that you've yep. walked into. And I think some people might think that, well, you know, granted, this was a powerlifting gym and people think like they would automatically assume, well, of course, why wouldn't the gym be clean? But I know a lot of people who, you know, you say you work in a gym or, you're a coach, you're a trainer, and they have a picture of what a gym looks like. 
covered in chalk dust. That's right. And there's just junk everywhere. And so I don't think people actually realize like that should be number one. That's where the customer service starts when you, as soon as somebody walks in the door and their perception of what is happening, even if you do have a giant meathead walking in, sure, a lot of them aren't going to care if the place is kind of thrown around and, you know, a, a little hodgepodge. There's like a, that, that's a certain type of person. But sure. then, you know, depending on who you're going to attract, there are those people who are, as soon as you walk in the door, it's the first thing you see, like, I, I want to be a part of what's happening in here. Yeah, that's and the, the important point there is this, is that uh, certainly the rise of CrossFit and, uh, you know, cro so CrossFit, uh, and I'm thankful for CrossFit. CrossFit has, as CrossFit everybody has, should be right. They have exposed yep. millions and millions of people, the barbell based mm -hmm. trainer, the type of stuff that we do. Right. Uh, so I'm very thankful there, but they, because CrossFit requires a, a large footprint per client because they move, they're moving a lot. They're doing, you know, lunges with bars on their back across the floor. They're doing prowler pushes. They're they're doing short sprints or, you know, so it takes up a lot of floor space. And so these CrossFit, they, they can't afford to go into a true retail storefront. CrossFit started to move into warehouses in 2007, 2008, 2009, as it was mm -hmm. going up. Powerlifting, black iron gyms have always been that way. And it just seemed like cleanliness and customer service were an afterthought to the, what was first and foremost was let's just train hardcore. And that's fine for people who are attracted to training hardcore. The problem is, is in most cities, now CrossFit for a long time, they've, they've been, you know, they've gained lots of popularity and they've, there is a market big enough to support it, or at least had, and they've probably peaked and are, are starting to, to struggle now. But for powerlifting or strength sports, there was never going to be a market big enough to truly do well in the business world, focusing on catering to powerlifters. What I wanted to do was I wanted to cater to business professionals and soccer moms and dads right. and have them train like a power lifter, but in an atmosphere that was like what you would see at the high-end concierge frou-frou gyms. Like, right? a, like so, a boutique studio. Like type. a boutique studio, yeah. right? So yep. people can go to these boutique studios. They're clean and the service is wonderful, but the training is often completely ineffective because they're just doing ridiculous things that aren't hard. Right. Or you could go to these gyms where they're kind of hardcore gyms or a little bit scary and surrounded by scary people. And the training is really intense, but like they're dirty and gross. Well, here's the thing. Power lifters and often crossers don't care if they train in a dirty gym, but executives do. Yeah. The soccer moms and dads do. And here's the thing. Power lifters also are perfectly fine with training in a clean gym and, and crossfitters are okay with training in a clean gym. So I can either have a dirty gym and train hardcore and only attract hardcore clients of which yeah. there aren't enough. The market's too small. Or instead, I can treat everybody great. It's not that hard to have a, an impeccably clean gym, smelled clean, like even the things that we clean the gym with, you know, using things like pine salt that smelled, that pine clean on the floor, uh, you know, peppermint scentsy, like uh, aromatherapy type stuff. Peppermint smells, it didn't smell flowery. It wasn't overpowering. It smells clean. Mint yeah, it's smells fresh. clean. Yeah, it's it right. smells good and in so, here. It doesn't smell like foot That's right. Put that kind of stuff in the locker rooms and the gym. It made, it made a surprising difference right. when people walked into the gym. And now the walls start to come down and now your clients, your new clients, your potential clients start to go like, man, they treat me so well here and the service is so great here and the, and the community is excellent. That now I'm kind of willing to try the thing they're telling me to do, which is this sort of hard training, this stuff that's simple, hard and effective, this like, you know, squats and deadlifts and things that I'm kind of, I'm a little bit nervous about doing barbells, but the place right. looks so nice and the service is so great. They start to gain your trust and, or you start to gain their trust and they, they make that transition. That was great. Well, that's a good segue into the next question because you have you have these people who are looking to do exactly that, get strong. They're searching out for everything. They see people doing barbells. Typically, if they're not seeing um, CrossFit athletes do it, they're seeing a type of athlete do it. And they think to themselves, I'm not an athlete, so I don't need to do that squat, deadlift, press, and bench. Um, so let, let's define, Matt, what is strength training? If you're talking to your typical client, what is strength training and what is not strength training? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So strength training very simply is just force production, being able to produce force, 
more force. The person that can produce more force is stronger. That's it. So strength is, uh, unfortunately, strength is a strange word in the English language because we often use it to mean something else. You know, we say, uh, you know, so-and-so is really strong because they, they fought for their marriage or they, or they, mm, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they beat cancer or, and those things are, are entirely true. It's just not really the definition of strength. I mean, what they're really talking about is the person is resilient or has mental toughness or they're anti-fragile fortitude. Or, yeah. That mental fortitude and all those things are incredible and wonderful. And, and in fact, uh, I would make an argument that strength training, actual strength training actually builds that as well. But when we say strength training, we are literally talking about people increasing the ability to produce force. And the reason that is important is if you think about all of the different potential physical attributes that you can have. So strength being one of those things, but also something like mobility or flexibility isn't as a physical attribute. Speed is a physical attribute. You know, agility is a physical attribute. Uh, Balance is a physical attribute, like all of those things. Strength is the only one, if done properly, that makes all of the other ones better. That's right. So if you take somebody who is sedentary and, they, and they've sat on their couch and just binge Netflix for years and you teach them how to move properly and teach them how to do a proper squat, which may, and I've done this many times, a proper squat for lots of people on day one is teaching them how to stand up out of their dining room chair correctly. Right. It's not necessarily putting a barbell on their back and making them go down and come back up. It's teaching them how to... Well, if you watch people who are truly weak and sedentary, watch them stand up out of a chair. What do they do? They have to put their hands on the handles of the chair or they push, they push their, their, they put, you know, their right hand between their legs on the base, on the seat of the chair and push off the chair. They're, they're, they are so weak. They can't stand up with their own body weight out of a chair. Mm. And so not only do they get stronger from learning those movements, they also become more mobile because they're able to actually get into those positions. They have better balance. They have better body control. You just think about people who have good body awareness, like know where they are and how to move in space. All those things get better with strength. Mm -hmm. Even endurance gets better. Even like cardiovascular fitness. When you do a hard workout, strength workout, you, you know, you're squatting three sets of five reps with weight. That's pretty, pretty tough. And then you do some deadlifts after that, or some presses and, when you do those things and your heart rate gets up, you know, everybody's got, I've got my Apple watch on here. Some people have their Apple watch or their Fitbit or their Garmin or whatever. Your heart rate gets spiked up. It improves cardiovascular fitness. Now I'm not arguing that strength training will improve all aspects of fitness as far as they need to be improved forever. You certainly can't strength train to prepare to go run a marathon and then go run a marathon having not run at all. Right. That's not what I'm saying. Right. But for somebody who is sedentary, who strength trains, not only do they get stronger, they get more mobile, they get more agile, they get faster, they build more power, right? Their cardiovascular fitness improves, but it's not a two-way street. If that same person goes and joins yoga class, and let me be clear, I am not knocking yoga. I think anything that people do physically is good. It's positive. Like, the thing we in Western society are way too sedentary. If you want to just walk around your neighborhood every night, as a matter of fact, I walk around my neighborhood. I walked around my neighborhood twice yesterday to close my rings on my Apple watch. Cause I gamify <laughs> the thing. Right. But yeah. I do it with my wife and it's good time. That, like if, if I go to yoga and I get more mobile, cause that's what yoga does. It gives you better flexibility or better mobility. It doesn't make you stronger at all. Right. At right. all, it does not increase force production. If I if I go run a 5K, I don't get stronger. I don't have better balance. I don't. It doesn't mean I'm not healthier. I'm not knocking any of that stuff. So for us, we focus on strength first, not strength only, strength first, and then begin focusing on the other things, the attributes that are the most deficient right. in our individual client and based on their own unique goals. That's the other piece of this. We don't use templates. We don't have somebody walk in and go, oh, this is how we train. Here's the print off. Here's the piece of paper. Everyone gets very personalized programming because everybody's different. 
right? Demographics are different. Age is different. Past injuries are different. Yeah. Anthropometry, which is a word your listeners have probably never heard, but it literally just means the way people are put together are different. What I mean by that is think about the difference in segment lengths of each person. Like people have different length shins and different length femurs and different right. length torsos. And and so the ratio or the relationship between the length of someone's back or torso to their femur changes the way the lifts look. And that changes a little bit the way you have to program, right? Male and female, a little bit different. Like there are these differences that occur that must be taken into account when programming. So everybody gets personalized programming, but the goal, the thing that everyone does do is they all strength train. And the best way to strength train is we focus on the things that get us the best bang for our buck. And those are the big compound movements. We look at, we look at when you first walk into a gym, you think about the number of people walk into a gym on January 1st or 2nd or 3rd, first week of January, they're like New Year's resolution goals and not knocking that either. I think that's great. A lot of people change their lives doing that. Yep but they walk into a big box gym and there is literally an infinite number of exercises for them to do. Yeah. There are hundreds of machines. There are hundreds of pieces of cardio equipment. There's the scary barbells and dumbbells in the corner with the scary guys back there. Yeah, and, they don't, and they don't know where to start, right? Like and you can't do all of it because there's literally in some of these giant Big box. There, there literally are thousands of pieces of equipment. So they're like, where do you, you know, where do you start? Well, what we do is we have some exercise criteria and we, we use this exercise criteria. What we do is we, we're going to pick movements that train the most muscle mass and muscles just make joints move. That's all they do. Yeah. Right. And so the most joints, when we pick a movement, we try to pick movement that make or movements exercises that make the most joints bend. We try to do that in normal, predictable, biological movement patterns. Like the way we were made when you watch a two-year-old squat. That's amazing. Squat perfectly. It's, right? a, it's a perfect it's, squat. Yeah, it makes you jealous. That's right. So it's things like squats and pulls. We call it a pull. It's like picking something up off the floor. Like, you know, I'm not a big fan of the term functional training. Not that there's anything really wrong with that. It's just kind of a no. trite, trite term at this point. Yeah, right? let's let's yeah, let's skip that whole thing. <laughs> right. But the idea is, is there anything more functional than just picking exactly. heavy weight up off the floor? Yes. Picking your kid up off the floor. Right. Picking your, you know, pick, I'm spring right now, went to Lowe's uh, yesterday and bought, you know, all these big bags of mulch and gravel to start doing the landscaping, like picking that stuff up, up, that stuff up off the ground. That stuff's important, right? So those basic movements are important. And we want to choose movements that require normal skill, not exceptional skill and coordination. So we don't do stuff that requires somebody to stand on one foot on a BOSU ball balancing. And, you know, it's, it's the potential of injury goes up tremendously. Right. And we want to yeah. load the body, we'll load the axial skeleton. So we, we pick those movements that use the most muscle mass. We pick movements that do that over the longest, safe, effective range of motion, big, giant range of motion is good. Right. And we focus on lifting the most weight with perfect form because the goal is force production. If I can put a little more weight on the bar or if I can hold a little more weight in my hands, then I'm improving force production. And I need to pick those movements that are structurally sustainable, which means they don't cause impingement or pain. And when I take that infinite number of exercises and I put them through those basic exercise criteria, I end up with a very small pool of exercises, squats, probably satisfy those things better than anything else. Literally for most people that's putting a bar on their back and it's squatting down and coming back up. There's lots of ways to screw it up. Your doctor may say, don't squat. It's bad for your knees. And the reality bad for your is knees, bad for your back. Yeah. And here's the deal. If you squat wrong, right. it is bad for your knees and it is bad for your back. So I always am a little forgiving there because of how many people actually do the thing wrong. Right. So we want to pick these things that are structurally sustainable, but when we do that, we get squats, we get deadlifts, which is just picking a barbell up off the floor. We get a bench press, which almost everybody knows what that is. And we get an overhead press. Those are the four big ones. And then we might add a few other exercises using those same criteria, things like a chin up or a pull up is mm -hmm. a high return on, on investment. And then we usually pick some version of a, of a cardio, a high intensity interval training 
piece of cardio, which might be pushing a sled or a prowler. It might be like an echo bike or a, an airdyne, Schwinn airdyne, something like that. Uh, it could be like a C2 rower. We want to try to pick something that's low impact, but can really ramp your heart rate up. And that's it. And so for the life of our clients and for the life of our lifters and for my life, 90% of all the work I do in the gym are those four big lifts, one or two body weight movements like chin-ups and dips, something like that, and some cardio piece like pushing a prowler, riding an exercise bike at very high intensity intervals. And that's all you need. So now we have this incredible return on investment and a very small pool of exercises. And that works for everybody. How you put those exercises together in a program, how you periodize those things, that's a little bit different. Right, but right, right. Doing those exercises, that is strength training. And anything outside of that isn't really sitting down on the on the machine, on the Nautilus machine or the, you know, the cable stuff. Like, okay, that's a the problem with that stuff is while it is strength training for the absolute beginner, it becomes not strength training within about three weeks. Right. Because their body adapts to it and they can't get any stronger. They can't get any better at it because there's just, it's one plane of motion. It's working one muscle group. So it doesn't fulfill that criteria. The, the best exercises that are out there are simple and hard and people don't want to do hard. Yeah. People want to sit on the Nautilus machine or the you know, piece of hammer strength or whatever, and just move it. And again, I'm, if that's the first time you've done anything, that's do it. That's great. Do that stuff but I want to get the best bang for my buck and our clients are paying enough money that I don't want them in the gym for three hours. And I don't want them in there doing stuff that doesn't give them a good return on investment. So we're going to pick the stuff that does. So we covered all of that kind of explained why, what strength training is, what it's not the definition you, you alluded to it just a second ago. So what are some of those things, the considerations, like the modifications or the adjustments um, in particular, let's say, I'm interested to hear what you have to say about like the athletes, general populations, maybe some special populations. Sure. Yeah. So everyone starts conservative. We want to start, we want to err on the side of starting conservatively, regardless of what the demographic is. Uh, and we want to make sure that they can go through the full range of motion and perform the movement correctly. And often that's performing the movement unloaded at first. You're like, well, how does that build strength? Well, it doesn't. It just makes sure that you can do it. Mm -hmm. want to make sure, can you actually get into the bottom of a squat correctly? The bot the correct bottom of a squat means you squat down first off while staying com completely in balance on the middle of your foot. A lot of people, when they squat wrong, and when your doctor says like, Hey, you did it wrong in it, or you squatted, it hurt your knees. It's because when you squat down, you get on your toes. We don't want to be on our toes. We also right. don't really want to be on our heels. We want to be balanced on midfoot. So we say balance on midfoot and we squat down until our hip, literally like the hip socket goes just below the top of the knee. So if you think about your femur, your thigh, it's going to be perfectly parallel to the ground is that's how low you have to go to have a proper squat. Well, if somebody can't do that. What are you going to do? You're going to like, you're going to, are they like a racehorse? You're going to take them out back, you take them shoot out and them? shoot. You're done. Yeah. Next client, next person. No, we're going to, have, we're going to make adjustments, right? So, okay, well yeah. maybe we can't squat quite that low. Maybe we make them squat on what we call a box. I mean, it's literally often a box or a bench. You, and so maybe they don't quite, they squat quite as low. Maybe they can't get a barbell on their back because they're a 55 year old guy who used to be a pitcher in baseball or throw football around. And he's torn up his rotator cuffs a little bit and he can't get his hands back there on the barbell. Okay. Well, there are, there are adjustments that can be made. They make barbells where you don't have to hold on to them back there. They've got barbell safety squat bars. Mm -hmm. You can hold something in the front. You can hold a 50-pound medicine ball. You can hold a kettlebell and a goblet squat. So you make those modifications to get the best return on investment that you can. I have a lady that uh, I coach. She's 85 years old, and she's she came and started coaching. I started coaching when she was 79. She'd never been in a gym. She'd had double hip replacement, a, a knee replacement. Most of her back was fused together. This was before she met me, not, not after. <laughs> right, so, yeah, clarification. Um, she was struggling. She was struggling to get on and off the toilet. She was struggling to get in and out of her car. And guess what lifts we did with her? Yeah. All the squat, the deadlift, the bench press, the press. Now, right. she can't get a bar on her back. 
And so she does, she does what we call goblet squats, which are squats where she sits down to a box. She holds a 50 pound medicine ball. She can't, that's about as heavy as she can hold in her hands. I mean, a 50 pound medicine ball. You think about a bowling ball, full size bowling ball, 16 pounds. Most, most time when people go bowling, they don't even get a 16 pound bowling ball, right? They get the 12 or the 13 or whatever. She's holding a 50, she's 85. She's holding a 50 pound medicine ball. Right. But she can deadlift off the floor. So she deadlifts absolutely perfect. As a matter of fact, this lady, when she first started, I had to take a kettlebell, like a 10 pound kettlebell. And she's a, <laughs> she at least has, at the time she's retired now. She was the, she was the organist at her Methodist church. She paid, played one of those big million dollar pipe organs. And I, I went to her house and taught her how to do some of these. I taught her how to stand up out of her dining room chair. And then I remember taking Methodist hymnals, you know, the hymnal books and stacking them up and putting the kettlebell on it because that was the best range of motion we could get. And then guess what we did every session that I went to her house, I took another hymnal away. Yeah and drop the kettlebell down. Now she does deadlifts with a barbell with real weights with 155 pounds for sets of five. And she's 85 years old and her back has never been healthier. Her doctor's like, oh my gosh, your bone density is incredible. Like no osteoporosis, no problem getting on and off the toilet, no problem getting in and out of the car. Actually sold the bigger car, bought a little red sports car. Like, I mean, it changes people's lives. So anybody can do this. And so you just make the modification. You go, well, Here's what the orthodox movement looks like. And if the person isn't able to do it, then we make modifications and get as close as we can. It's actually not that complicated, but that's, a, that's all you do. So let's then talk about <clears throat> some, of the, some of the differences between men and women. Um, maybe in particular, not necessarily, you know, they're all going to do those, the, the same lifts, you know, yeah. m- minus let's, let's say injuries, a healthy, sure. typical person coming in what are some of the first things that you see changing men versus women yeah it's a, it's a great question so there's very little difference the way they train is almost identical and the only real difference is the hormonal milieu that that each have right so mm-hmm. men have tes- testosterone more testosterone women have a little testosterone right and men have a little bit of estrogen women have a lot of estrogen and progesterone And so um, the ability for men to add muscle is significantly higher than the ability for women to add muscle. It's very difficult. And this, this is a constant struggle for people like me in the fitness industry for, for all of us in the fitness industry, because you frequently hear from women, well, I don't want to lift heavy because I don't want to get bulky. And what they're saying is like, I don't want to put on too much muscle as if it's an accident. accidentally going right. to happen. Like I'm going to wake up one day and look like a linebacker in the NFL. Like that right. doesn't happen. It's that's not possible. Right. Yeah. Like that has literally never happened. And if it, if it did happen, it was because the person probably took hormones, took male hormones, took testosterone, took some sort of exogenous drugs, performance enhancing drugs to, to look that way. And so the, you know, competitive, that everybody knows this from watching the Olympics, right? The Olympics are this like high, like performance enhancing drugs are a real problem there. Yes. And so if you're not on performance enhancing drugs, and I would assume the, the vast majority of females listening to this show are not taking performance enhancing drugs. I would say so. They don't, they don't have the ability to put on muscle mass the way, the way men do. And men have, and certainly the younger they are, I mean, once they're, once they're post pubescent, they're able, you know, 18 year old kid, they can, they're like a walking bottle of steroids naturally. (laughs) Yeah. They have that much testosterone. Right. And then you get to in your thirties and the testosterone starts to drop a little bit in Uh forties, a little bit more. And and now it's becoming a little more common for men who have naturally low testosterone to be able to go to their doctor and have, get enough testosterone to replace the lost testosterone that they had. It's not about performance enhancing drugs. It's about balancing the hormone. And so men can put on more muscle. Women can put on muscle, but it's much less size and it's much more density of muscle. So uh, often you'll hear the term tone. Somebody wants to tone and you'll hear that from both men and women. That's not actually a real thing in in like the anatomy and physiology world or kinesiology. It's not a real thing tone. What they really mean is though, they they're like, I want my muscles to be dense. Yeah. I want them to be hard. I want them to be defined. And that's just a combination of if you lift heavy, 
the the portion of the muscle fiber it's called the very dead center of the muscle fiber is called the myofibril it will get bigger and push against the outside of that muscle but it actually won't make the cross-sectional area of the muscle itself that much bigger it just becomes more dense so imagine you know uh sort of like trying to make a a brick out of sand versus a brick out of clay versus a, a brick out of you know concrete like it just it becomes harder and more dense and then the other part of that equation is is are they lean enough that muscle is often covered with that's yeah, subcutaneous exactly. fat so some fat stores and some water and some things like that that are under the skin that that reduce the amount of tone and so Outside of that, there's very little difference between men and women um, because of the difference in hormones. And, and of course, these are blanket statements, right? There are naturally high testosterone females or naturally low testosterone men. And so I'm, I'm not trying to say everybody falls into this category. We're talking to the middle of the bell curve here. Yeah. Uh, but in general, that is the case. And because men have higher testosterone generally, then they also have the ability to have higher neuromuscular efficiency, which means mm -hmm. it's easier for them to learn the movements and perform them exactly correct quicker. They can tend to learn it a little faster. As a matter of fact, the thing that makes the difference between really great athletes and not good athletes is actually neuromuscular efficiency. Yeah, it's right. the reason that great athletes have a high vertical jump. They're able to both, both men and women, right? You, you have the best athletic women and the best athletic men. They have big giant vertical jumps because they're able to take all of their muscle mass and go from doing nothing to boom, big jump, yeah. super explosive. Recruit and that just more. happens. Yep. Bam. So yeah. the only way that affects programming for the most part between men and women is we'll often move women to from so so the wheelhouse for us for the first six months or so of training is we take those big four lifts and we usually train them for about five reps per set so we do a one set of five reps and we wait a few minutes and then we do another set of five reps with the same weight so we warm up a while and then we get to our working weight we do three sets of five and we might rest you know three four minutes between the sets with females, often by week six or eight, we mm -hmm. often will drop the reps from three sets of five to five sets of three mm -hmm. so that they get better practice with the triples with three. But outside of that, there's very little difference between the way a, a male would train and a female would train. And, and the amazing thing is they can both train exactly the same. Husband, we have lots of husbands and wives at Barbell Logic that train, do the exact same program. And the husband puts on 20 pounds of muscle yeah. and the wife puts on four pounds of muscle, three pounds of muscle, a pound and a yeah. half of muscle. But, her, but, but her body responds the way she always wanted it to respond. And again, I'm not trying to paint. I'm not trying to tell people what their goal should be, but right. again, the middle of the bell curve is most of our clients come in and the men want to lose dad bod. They want to lose the the spare tire of fat around their belly and their obliques. And they want to put on some more muscle, especially in their shoulders and pecs and arms. And the women want to come in and they want to, they want to get leaner and more tone, which means they want more dense muscle. Right. And, and they actually get those things if they train the same way. Yeah. Really bizarre. Yeah. When I have somebody come in and they, and the men and women, sometimes I hear men, it's like, dude, I, I don't need to be Superman. I don't want to bulk up. I'm like, That's okay, right. women will say the same thing. And I say, well, okay, well, what is your intent in coming here? I want to get stronger and healthier. I said, do you think the people who look like who you're describing, what is their intent? Right. Their intent isn't just to feel better. It is to be like that, that it's intentional. So everything they're doing from the time they wake up to the time they go to bed is an intentional part of their training and how they look and how they perform and yes. how they train, what they eat, everything. So, you know, it, the, it's, fitness, the fitness world is rife with misinformation, yeah. right? It's no one would say like, everyone knows logically, no one would go and be like, Hey, I'm playing, um, I'm going to play in a men's baseball league and I'm just not interested in hitting the ball 455 <laughs> feet. <laughs> right. Like if like you would accidentally hit the baseball yeah. 455 feet, like everybody yeah. knows that's ridiculous, right? right? You can go into any college weight room, any college weight room that's full of frat boys and they're lifting and every one of those guys want to get bigger yes. and then go back six yeah. months later and they're all still the same size. Right, exactly. It yeah. doesn't accidentally happen. Man, it is so hard 
to put on 10 or 15 pounds of muscle. That is not an it's easy thing to do. Yeah. And it certainly doesn't happen accidentally, right? Yeah. Now I've said before, and so I, I've said this and I've said it poorly in, in some previous podcasts. And so I want to be careful the way I word this, but um, there are don't times- send, Don't send this one down the toilet, Matt. Yeah, I'm not, don't want to say that. <laughs> there, are, there are times when someone sees a female- and they and they incorrectly judge her for being too bulky or too muscular. Oh, right? right now, yeah. first off, how about you just don't worry about anybody else? You worry about yourself. Let's let's start there. Right. So I'm I'm speaking out against. Let's not look at someone and say, "Hey, I wouldn't want to look like that lady because she's too muscular." I think that's that's not that. Find a better hobby. That, yeah. Right? Get off Instagram. And yet, that's right. And yet, what ought, what they don't know, if that's actually true, if you've actually got, so let's say you've got a muscular female, and she's 230 pounds, and she's, and she, what you don't know is she, she might have weighed 330 pounds eight yeah. months ago, and she's lost a hundred pounds. Yeah. And she has put on some muscle, but she's lost tremendous amounts of fat. And you didn't see her when she weighed 330 pounds. Yeah. You saw her at 230. And then you made this judgment about her life about, oh, she's a meathead. She, that's no, that's not it at all. She is potentially exponentially healthier than she was a year before. Mm -hmm. Those are really the only options for the when you see a an over muscular or bulky woman again and that is a very subjective term and i want to be very clear like i i want people to be what they want to be if somebody wants to be 230 pound female that's jacked go do it but that that either happened on purpose with performance enhancing drugs or it happened because the person was significantly overweight like morbidly obese and they have worked their butt off yeah. to get healthier and healthier and healthier and lose fat and now it's not even about the aesthetics i don't even want to comment on the aesthetics it's about the health they are healthier their health markers are better their blood pressure is lower that's they they, they feel better about themselves that's they walk right. around with more confidence that's they exactly can walk right. into a room and not be bothered by anything yes. they can they can go to the job interview they can play with their kids again like that that goes beyond anything, not to mention, yeah, like you said, like the, the markers, they're not going to die in 10 years. They're going to die exactly in 50 right. years. Yep. Yeah. That's that all of that goes beyond, you know, when I, when I, when I mentioned like things about athletes and the general population, you know, when it, when it all comes down to it, like what we're trying to do, and you said it earlier, you said something about being a teacher impacting lives. And you feel like you impact lives better now. I think the big difference is, and, you know, teachers are amazing. Okay. Yeah. They're, they're incredible. If you get into, let's say, let's say you get into someone who, who's a third grade teacher and someone's like, man, you're impacting those lives. Yes, that is 100% true. There's no doubt about it. When you start working with a client who is in his or her mid forties and they, they are, they're, they might be a little bit sad. They're not happy with the way they look. They're not happy with the way they feel, you know, it's a struggle for them to get up every day. Yeah. And six months, three months, three weeks into a process, and this person comes to you and says, you have changed my life. Now, yes. that little second or third grader probably isn't going to look at the teacher and say, hey, you're changing my life. That's they right. might not realize that for another Til, you know, right. 10, 10 20 years. That's right. right. That's, that's the difference. The yeah. difference is it's an immediate impact. That's exactly right. With the outcome that will, that will literally change. That person's going to go home. And be kinder to their wife or husband. They're gonna have a better relationship with their child. They're gonna perform better at work. They're gonna hit that bomb at you know Monday night softball. Whatever. That's right. that's, that's the long term investment. That's what that's what strength training is. That's what it does. That's, that's right. why we do it, and that's why it is truly for everybody. Yeah, we have a term we've coined at Barbell Logic that we call voluntary hardship. I, I love it. I've used it before. It, it I'll pay you is, for it. Well, and I, I don't believe I invented it. I think I first heard that term from a guy named Mr. Money Mustache, which is a financial planner who, um, anyway, he lives, he lives pretty frugally and was able to retire, I think in his mid thirties. And so he's got kind of a big following. I heard him on a, on a podcast once. And I was like, that's a great term. I started thinking about yeah, voluntary really hardship. The, th the thing about what we're really trying to do with strength training, and this is the, if, if, 
you're listening to the podcast and some of this stuff has gone over your head or you just don't care that much. If there's one thing you need to hear, it's this. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, the goal of what we do is to improve quality of life. It's actually not to look better. It's not aesthetics. Everybody wants to look better. There's nothing wrong with wanting to improve aesthetics. It's right. fine, right? But ultimately, our, what we're trying to do is we're trying to improve our quality of life. And if that is the case, there are lots of things out there that, are, that have been proven to improve your quality of life. If you improve your marriage, you improve your quality of life. If you find right. financial freedom, you, you know, you're not strapped by debt, you improve your quality of life. There, there are, we can go down the line and there's these things that will improve, like generally will improve the vast majority of people who do it, their quality of life. I am just not in the business of, um, I'm not Dave Ramsey. I'm not trying right. to improve people's uh, finances. While I think you should, I think that's great. I think that's a great idea. Um, I'm not a marriage counselor. Um, although sometimes I end up playing the role of a psychologist as a, yes. as a strength yeah, coach, you're right? a coach you do. Yeah. But here's what I found is that strength training, if done for the right reasons, mm -hmm. and everybody's seen the person that strength trains so that they can take pictures of their butt and post it on Instagram. And that's not the right reasons, right? But if we're training to improve quality of life, improve health, improve performance, what we found is that the, the byproduct, and I can't, I don't even know the byproduct, byproduct no, is that's, right. It's the that's prime. Right. It's honestly, for most people, it's the primary. They will become happier in life. They'll be better employees or better bosses, better managers, better business right. owners, better spouses or significant others, better parents, right? Better citizens. Exactly. Like, and I'm, again, I don't think that strength training is the be all end all most important thing in the world. I think they're my relationship with my family, my, you know, I have these relationships to me that sure. are more important than strength training. Sure. 100% generally strength training for the right reason improves all of those things. So it improves all of the physical things, but we also found that it improved social strength, me mental ability, right? social skills, uh, often spiritual health, but it improves the health of all of these things like mental, emotional, social, spiritual, relational, like all of those things are improved by doing strength training for the right reasons. And so, again, I don't think strength training is the most important thing on 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 earth, but I do think it generally helps every single person on the planet if done for yeah. the right reason. Right. If not done just to get the girl, if not done to and really I mean, this is a joke and not really not, but like if the goal is to get super tan and paint your body brown and then stand on stage in a pink thong bikini and have a beauty pageant with other dudes, like maybe that's not the best. Like, and really I'm not like the level of dedication it takes to be a competitive bodybuilder it's is different level. Insane, yeah. Right. But I would also argue that that level, like that, just like anything else, strength training is on it is on a pendulum of balance. So we often start in our strength training uh, journey, weak and unhealthy sitting on the couch. And then we get strong and the pendulum swings into correct balance. And if it's, and if we find the right balance of strength training, where we're doing it for the right reason, we can often do all the strength training we need in about three hours a week. This is not something that takes 10 yeah. hours, 12 hours a week. It can be, anybody can find the time to do it. Right. Uh, for some people, they swing the pendulum past what is the right balance, right? And, and they do it because they are uber competitive power lifters or bodybuilders or strongmen or Olympic uh, weightlifters or Olympian athletes or the same thing that you would think with like an NFL player. An NFL player has decided that, hey, no one would argue that the NFL is safe. It's not safe, right? No, but it's right, worth, yeah. for a lot of these guys, it's worth millions and millions and millions of dollars. So it's worth the risk. And so for, for most of our clients, our goal is... And, Another thing that I think separates Barbell Logic from most of their online coaching companies is that we don't actively pursue at all the competitive athlete. We pursue the general population who wants to do this to get stronger, healthier, right. improved performance, certainly aesthetics, aesthetic improvement as a byproduct of that performance improvement is part of what we're doing. And one of the things we do is we start to change the mindset of that demographic so that they think of themselves as athletes 
yeah. we just don't take it too far. We don't take the pendulum so far that we actually ruin those relationships. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with, with all of that. And I think I've, I've talked a lot about that on the podcast and I, I know that that's what Barbara logic's about. And, and so I just, I loved hearing your, your philosophy on that. Um, one thing before my internet drops out again, taking a, taking a hard right turn here. Okay. Sure. This is, this is nothing to do with strength training. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm on, I'm on the Slack channel. Um, you know, I did, I did the, the barbell Academy group 43 Yeah. and someone had posted on a separate thread, uh, their bourbon, they're just getting into bourbon and they're like, Hey, what, what, you know, what can I get into? And I'm, I'm a, I love bourbon. I live in Kentucky. So, um, you know, it's, uh, my, my drink of choice. Anyway, I took a picture of my, my, my bar and I put it up there and the yeah. guy's like, Oh my gosh, there's so much there. And I was like, here's my favorite. Well, you commented on it. You may not remember this. I know you're on there a lot doing a lot of other things. Yeah. You commented and said, <laughs> you said, drink that WL Weller, the 12 year Weller before God comes back. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it, it was it, unopened, right? Well, yes, I had two of them though. So oh, okay. I was like, I said, well, if he does come back, I'm using that as my bargaining chip. And I got no response from you. And I thought oh, that was so good. That was awesome. Sorry, and I was like, I not it. even crickets. That is great. Dang it. <laughs> that is a great, that's a great, that's a great line. Yes. So, so I'm curious, uh, what, what's on your shelf right now? I know you're kind of doing a little, some, some diet stuff. Yeah. Uh, some nutrition, you're kind of, you're, you're dialing that answer. So you might not yeah. be on, on the, the Brown stuff right now, but a, a little uh, bit. So it's one of those, yeah, it's one of those things for me. It's uh, things like alcohol um, or sweets or junk food is it's, I think you have to treat it. If again, I think developing a right relationship with food is really important. It's a, again, we focus really on the strength training aspect of what we do, but nutrition plays our, our clients that succeed absolutely have to have uh, a right relationship with both, right? You mm -hmm. can't, you can't, I, I don't want to steer people in the direction of what I did when I was in college and I was hammering McDonald's three times a day and, you know, pouring canola oil in my protein shakes to gain as much weight as I, as I could. And I, I, you know, I don't imagine that too many people would do that anyway, listening to the podcast, but for us uh, it's, it's just really about a budget. And so I have found that when I actually reduce my alcohol consumption to just maybe one drink per day, I get a lot of enjoyment out of that one drink at night with my family. And I don't need mm -hmm. to have three or four or five. And the, it's not about, um, I, you know, I certainly hate, I've always hated being drunk. I'd never get drunk. I'm not, you know, but it's, it's actually about the caloric load. Alcohol has got exactly. a lot of calories in it. So to have, you know, a couple ounces um, I, I own about 350 different whiskeys. I, I have a library in my house that uh, I would say looks like, uh, if you've ever seen Downton Abbey, it's like the drawing room in the library. So it's like one side is books, which I love and read a ton of books. And the other side is, is mostly whiskey, um, mostly bourbon, although I've got a lot of rye and a lot of scotch and some Irish. Matter of fact, it's uh, it's actually St. Patty's Day as we're recording yeah, this yeah, today. Yeah, it is. I'm Happy actually smoking. I'm smoking uh, corned beef. I got uh, corned beef brisket out on my smoker right now. Nice. And uh, so we're going to do corned beef and cabbage and uh, some Irish soda bread and probably uh, have a glass of Irish whiskey, some some good Middleton Irish whiskey. Okay. My, okay. my favorite bourbon is a good weeded like that WL Weller 12, like Weller 12, yeah. well, 12, 12 year old yeah. Weller. It's so good. Um, William LaRue Weller is the best. Some of the best stuff I've ever had uh, that Weller 12 and Pappy Van Winkle lot B is actually the same whiskey. Yeah. And if you know anything about whiskey, Pappy uh -huh. Van Winkle is like the most sought after whiskey there is. Uh, so I, I love that stuff. Um, my, my, my daily go-to drinker. That's what, yes, is, exactly. Yeah. That's probably Maker's Mark 46, and it's because okay. I can get it pretty cheap at Sam's, and it's also a weeded bourbon. Okay. And so Maker's 46, again, I, I think it's really good, but it's not like knock your socks off. If you wanted to, the here's the best deal in all of bourbon or whiskey in general for, and it works. Um, so the, the problem with, with bourbon and with whiskey right now is that the oh, demand it's... is so hot it's bonkers that supply cannot support the demand which means there is a massive secondary black market in the united states now mm -hmm. i i don't believe i made a single morality statement on this podcast yet but here's what i'll say 
please don't support the secondary black market in bourbon because it ruins it for the rest of us. There is fun in the hunt to hunt a good bottle of bourbon. And if all you do is these guys create relationships with the managers of, of some of these liquor stores, and then they're on these private Facebook groups and then they mark up that whiskey. A lot of times 10 X what the retail price is and it commands they can sell it for that, right? Yeah. I, I hate that stuff. That's I'm crazy. never gonna. I'm never gonna flip. So here's and so it's very hard to say. Well, like look for this because distribution is different all over, all over the United States, all over yep. the world. Here's what you do: you go to the biggest, nicest liquor store in your city, and that liquor store will have almost always one or two or three barrel purchases. They're gonna purchase their own barrel, right? from one of the big distilleries. So they'll have a barrel of Four Roses or they'll have a barrel of Knob Creek or they'll have a barrel of Buffalo Trace. or And that barrel pick is usually a full step above what the taste is and the quality of the same thing. So you go by just like normal Knob Creek and it's pre- that's pretty good whiskey, but the barrel pick Knob Creek is excellent and it's often a little higher alcohol. And, it's so, yeah. and because they bought an entire barrel, they're able to sell it at a cheaper price and so the best bang for your buck, just like a squat is the best bang for your buck in the gym. <laughs> the, the barrel picks from the liquor stores is the best bang for your buck. And the nice thing about it is they're also make great gifts because if you buy it and give oh, it yeah. as a gift, you're giving something to someone who they will never find that bottle again. Yeah. It's, it, once it's gone, it's gone. Yeah. And so that's, that's, I have a lot of fun with that. When I travel, I'm always trying to find like those barrel picks and it's a lot of fun. So I, yes, I, I love that stuff. I love that weeded bourbon love. Um, but I don't, yeah, I, you know, I've backed off a lot because I'm at a point now where I'm, I'm really focused on health and yeah. I've gamified the, the health piece. Again, I'm, I'm making sure that not only am I, am I strength training, I, I did a, I did a good strength training workout and to put things into perspective, I've lost, um, I've lost about 22 pounds since, uh, since about Christmas, since December, and I've lost uh, six and a half inches off my waist, which is pretty significant. That's awesome. And yeah, I saw I, the photos that you posted. That's impressive. Well, thank you. And I'm not where I want to be yet. I'm still, it's just, you know, part of the program. You always kind of want to be like, oh, I'm going to hold the after pictures to, to the very end. Um, but um, so I'm not quite where I want to be, but I, I bench pressed 315 for 10 today, this morning. Yeah. It's wow. pretty good. 315 for 10 is still pretty yeah. strong. I'm 40. How old am I? 42, 43. I'm one of those two. Okay. I think I'm 42. You forget once you get over 40. I'm somewhere in that ballpark. I'm almost there. I'm so close. <laughs> so it's a lot of fun. So, you know, you don't have to give up performance uh, if you fuel your body correctly. I'm trying to eat like an athlete, even though I'm not an athlete. I'm a CEO of a tech company at this point. But I think of myself that way. And when you start to think of yourself that way, you eat your fuel for the workouts, for the performance, for the, and so, um, I love it. I love the combination of those two things and we get to change a lot of lives with what we do. And so, um, anybody could do it. If Sybil, if 85 year old Sybil that I coach, right. If with double hip replacement and knee replacement and back fuse together and all these issues, if she can squat and deadlift and bench press and press, uh, you can too. Anybody can do it. Well, having said that, Matt, where is the best place to find you to find Bar- Barbell Logic? Where can people reach you guys? Yeah, so it's really easy to find Barbell Logic. We are all over the place. You can Google Barbell Logic. Um, if you Google online strength coaching, online coaching, we have really good SEO there. You can find Barbell Logic, but it's at barbelllogic.com. Uh, Instagram, bar- I think it's at barbell underscore logic. We're on Twitter. We're on LinkedIn. I think we're on TikTok. We're on Clubhouse. We're on all that stuff. If you want to see my stuff personally, I'm at Reynolds Strong, primarily on Instagram. I don't post a ton. I've started to post more a little bit later uh, lately because I'm trying to show the impact that our team can have on on middle aged guys with dad bod. I'm a middle aged guy that that had spent too much time focused on business, uh, and even though that fitness business, even though it was a fitness business, uh, I spent a lot of time working on the business, which means I neglected some of my own personal. Uh, health habits. And so I want to be transparent about that and show the process that I've been going through over the last few months to continue to change my body as well, to get stronger, put on more muscle, lose fat, do those things. And I can do that with the right relationship with food and training. And I, you know, I have a blast. We make it about our family does this together. We eat well together. It's not about putting, it's not a diet. I'm not on a diet. Right, right, right. right. It's, 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 that's not sustainable. The lifestyle. I'm on a, 
It's a lifestyle. I'm, a lifestyle. Wanna, I'm on a yeah. sustainable lifestyle. If I want to have a beer or a Krispy Kreme donut every once in a while, I can. I just I'm not going to eat 11 Krispy Kreme donuts. Right. I don't need six beers. I can I can kind of satiate that that you know that craving uh, with less, and it works just fine. And so um, I'm having a blast right now, training and eating well and doing it with my Good, family. Man. My wife and I train together, and it's a Honestly, it's a marriage builder for us. It's not the only thing we do together, right? But it's something that so that we enjoy together. And then we walk together around the neighborhood. We play tennis together. We go on vacation together. And so I, yep. I think it can be part of that relationship building. And so I love it. Love strength training. Well, Matt, I, a lot of good information here, man. I Again, I appreciate you jumping on. If people want to get a hold of you, I ho- certainly hope they do. I'll link all of that in the show notes. Perfect. Matt, have a great day and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me on the podcast.